Hi, I'm Mark Brody, and this is the Friday Newscap Podcast. Each week, we review the biggest stories with experts, reporters, and commentators to put the news in perspective. Here's this week's episode. I have not voted for anything for Ukraine. I can't buy into that, nor will I. And uh, I would see it's a very, very bad omen to start off on the wrong foot by having those two joined. It is incredibly important that we continue to support Ukraine and then on border security. I'm specifically asking for a budget supplemental on border security. We are going to need more boots on the ground, more resources for technology. We have enough resources for, to offer everybody today and that, that first step to getting them off the street. And then right then it'll be up to us to help maintain and engage people as uh, people try to re-inhabit. But most people have been adhering to the signs up that we can't camp in this area anymore. It almost defies common sense that we have people who want to get into these jobs, but for the fact that these are the jobs that preserve our democracy. The things they're accusing us of in terms of doctoral students and the cost of attendance has nothing to do with student complaints. In fact, we've not been delivered any student complaints. The fans of Arizona, um, the Bleed Sedona read with us that have backed us. You know, those are the things that go through my mind and know all the players. This is painful. This is, this is just plain painful. And with me to talk about more new entrants into the primary for an open congressional seat, subpoenas going out to two Southern Arizona County supervisors and more. Our Matthew Benson of Veritas, Matt, is stuck in traffic gamingly joining us remotely. Good morning, Matt. Good morning. Also with me, Don Penich-Thacker of Agave Strategy. Good morning, Don. Good morning. So, Matt, let me start with you uh, talking about CD8. This is the West Valley Congressional District that uh, Debbie Lesko has announced she is not running for re-election for. Uh, three new entrants into the race this week. I want to start with the two who are currently serving in the legislature, uh, State Senator Anthony Kern and House Speaker Ben Toma. This is these were not necessarily a surprise, I guess. I mean, we kind of knew that they were at least thinking about it. Um, how how do the entrance of these two candidates into the race maybe shake things up or affect the dynamic there? Well, you've got folks that represent kind of different wings of the Republican Party there. I mean, Speaker Toma, uh, very much supported by the business community, more of a traditional mainline conservative. Uh, and then Anthony Kern, a, a MAGA kind of Trump representative through and through uh, was at the January 6th uh, events at the, at the U S Capitol. And, you know, I I think it's going to be a very interesting race because there are of course other candidates in the race as well, representing more of, again, the, the MAGA wing of the party, Abe Hamaday, Blake masters. Uh, And so the question is whether they will ultimately kind of divide that portion of the vote and and clear a path for somebody like Ben Toma. Well, Don, it was interesting. Uh, Debbie Lesko herself this week endorsed Ben Toma for that seat. And it was not, I'm sure, coincidental that one of the first things that her statement said was that he lives in the district. Yeah, that's right. And, you know, when you look at that area, regardless of what number it's had over the years, those voters prize their local folks. Um, I, I think that that is one thing that we're going to see be an interesting differentiating factor is the people who have, you know, kind of the local credentials like Toma, like Kern, like Lesko, like Jan Brewer before them, 
um, who may be an endorser that I would expect to see coming through for Toma, actually. And people who, interestingly, have more name recognition but are not from the district and also don't have that long-time political experience that that district also prizes, like Debbie Lesko had, like Trent Franks even had, you know, um, Hamaday, Masters. These are guys who are not from there, and they also have no political experience behind them. And generally, that district, as deep red as it is, does not usually go that direction. So it'll be really interesting to watch which way they split. Well, Matt, it's an interesting, to Don's point, there's an interesting dynamic here in terms of name ID, where you would think at least that among these four, that Hamaday and Masters, having run statewide campaigns last year, maybe would have an advantage. You have the fundraising aspect, which if last year is any uh, indication, you would think that someone like Blake Masters would not have to worry about. But then you also have, as Don said, the, the local sort of the in-district component, which would seemingly give Toma and Kern an advantage. Yeah, it's a fascinating race. Uh, and Don touched on the other uh, name here that being Trent Franks, yeah. uh, you know, former representative of that district before being uh, really forced to resign uh, in 2017 when, you know, it, it came out that uh, he had allegedly solicited a couple of his, his staff members to, uh, you know, to carry a baby for, for him. Uh, and so it's 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 really going to be fascinating to watch. And the biggest factor is the one we haven't talked about yet, which is Donald Trump. Mm. And, you know, if we've learned anything from the last two election cycles, it's that whoever the candidate is that Trump endorses in the primary is almost certainly going to win. Uh, so does Trump end up playing in CD8? Well, we so yeah, so Matt, you you meant you both have mentioned Trent Franks. I was sort of holding that out as the big the big reveal here, but let's talk about him <laughs> uh, because he did announce this week that he is also uh, planning to run for re-election. Um, you you kind of mentioned his uh, his history and and why he had to leave this seat in the first place. Do you think that will not be a factor for him in in this race now? I, I don't see how it couldn't be a factor. I mean. <laughs> It's it's just I, I know politics have changed a lot since 2017, yeah. but <laughs> but I, I have to assume that's going to be a big problem for him in the primary. Yeah. I mean, Don, is this I can't imagine that the other four, at least four people in this race are not going to be talking about this at every opportunity. No, they absolutely are. And, you know, a lot of people have moved to Arizona since this scandal hit him and, and he left but you cannot Google this name without that being the first thing that you learn about him. So there will be no escaping this. I don't think even right-wing politics have changed so much that he's going to be able to brush this one off. I think this is a little bit of someone who, you know, misses misses the seat, misses some power and is just going for it, but not because it's going to pan out well. Well, and Don, we also uh, found out this week that Anthony Kern, the state senator who's also running in this district, is facing a complaint that he used campaign money from the last time he ran for the legislature to go to D.C. on January 6th. How big of an issue does that become? Well, I mean, he has been reelected since participating in that insurrection. So if voters in that area didn't care that he did that, I don't think they're going to care that much how he paid to get to the insurrection that he has been reelected since. So this is a part of that, you know, part of the Republican Party that I cannot fathom. But um, again, you know, 
this might just be the kind of thing that for that block of voters can be brushed off and just kind of dismissed in his campaign. Matt, do you agree that that ultimately is not a huge issue for Kern? Total non-issue. Yeah, it'll, it'll, it'll have no impact in, in that primary whatsoever. Do you think, Matt, that this is the field? Do you anticipate more Republicans getting in other than these five? I, I think you could potentially see one or two more minor candidates get in. But I, I really think in terms of, of tier one candidates, this is the field. And, Don, this is obviously, as you referenced, a very, very conservative district. In all likelihood, the person who wins the primary will be elected to Congress. If you're a Democrat in that district, do you look at, at the candidates and think, well, maybe there's a chance or is it still doesn't really matter? Registration is what it is. Whoever wins the GOP primary is getting in. Uh, that is what all history shows us. This is a plus nine, plus 10 Republican district. The closest that any Democrat has come was back in the supposed, you know, blue wave of 2018. And even that ended up being a, a 10 percentage point, you know, split between yeah. the Republican who won and and the Democrat who didn't. There is, however, a Democrat in the race. His name is Greg Witten. And there will be no daylight between the platforms and policy positions of the Republicans running here. So for those voters who do want some, you know, reproductive rights protections, voting rights protections, public education advocates, um, they they will have a choice. It will be the Democrat Witten. But the, the odds there don't look good as they haven't in a very long time. Matt, let's uh, shift gears just a little bit and move south from CD8 to Cochise County, where uh, the two Republicans sitting on the County Board of Supervisors were uh, served subpoenas uh, by Attorney General Chris Mays over certifying, or in the case of one of them, not certifying the 2022 elections, also their desire for hand counts of all ballots. Is this a significant development? Does this tell us anything maybe more about any investigations the AG is working on, do you think? Well, I think what it tells us is the uh, attorney general is is not going to let this go uh, un, unanswered, uh, that this kind of behavior, uh, a, uh, a a county, county officials refusing to canvas an election, you know, refusing to certify an election, uh, insisting on a hand count vote and really being forced by the courts to back away from those things. Uh, she's going to and this is being taken to the to the uh, grand jury. Uh, and, you know, I think the, the idea is uh, that you discourage that sort of behavior on the part of county officials going forward, including in the cycle uh, next year. Don, there's been a lot of speculation, a lot of talk about whether or not the attorney general and to what extent she maybe is investigating the, the fake electors situation, as we saw in some other states. Does this give us any insight into what she might be thinking along those lines? Well, folks, um, you know, across the spectrum, but certainly on the left, have been really calling for the attorney general to do something, to do something. What has she been waiting for? And so I think that this indicates that maybe this is finally kind of starting and this is maybe the first step of many. Um, what I think is interesting about this is that, you know, this is yet another example, and we see it all across the nation, that the elections officials, the attorneys, the politicians who have followed uh, who have heeded kind of the marching orders of Trump, of Lake, in terms of this, the big lie, election denialism, following those instructions lands you in a grand jury. It lands you in jail. And in many, many cases, including here in Arizona, it lands you as the loser in an election. And so going into what looks to be another Trump election, it will be really interesting to see how many 
candidates and government officials continue to make that calculus of whether they want to go down that path that mm. ends in things like jail time and grand juries. Interesting. All right. That is Don Penish Thacker, also joined by Matthew Benson. I'm Mark Brody in Phoenix. The Friday Newscap continues in just a moment. It's the Friday Newscap on KJZZ 91.5. I'm Mark Brody. My guest this week, Don Penich Thacker of Agave Strategy and Matthew Benson of Veritas, actually in studio. You uh, <laughs> you escaped the uh, the traffic on the 202. Welcome. Live and in the flesh. Live and in the flesh. All right, so you're here just in time to uh, talk about a, a new uh, GOP uh, poll related to the U.S. Senate, which shows that uh, Ruben Gallego uh, is leading the, the field with uh, Kerry Lake about four points behind, pretty much within the margin of error. And then... Uh, the incumbent, the independent Kirsten Cinema, pretty far behind at 17 percent. Matt, what does this tell you about sort of the state of the race at the moment? Well, I, what I took away from those numbers is that uh, Kirsten Cinema is clearly hurting the Republican candidate. She, she's pulling, she's bleeding Republican support away from Kerry Lake. Uh, and so, you know, to the extent Cinema decides to run in this race, I think Kerry Lake has a big problem and she's going to have to figure out how to solidify her own base. Yeah, Don, I mean, do you sort of see it the same way? I mean, it would seem as though based on the numbers that the the percentage and I think conventional wisdom sort of is that cinema would pull more from the Republicans than the Democrat, given how Demo- many Democrats say they feel about her. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it's important to note that, you know, this is the latest kind of polling data, but this has come up many times. Many different polls from the left, from the right, you know, from the middle, such as it is, um, have shown that this is likely the case. Um, and and yes, in, in democratic circles and progressive circles, that is no surprise to me. There is so much animus towards cinema and, you know, kind of a, a, a feeling of we are fed up. There is no possible way that she could say or do anything at this point. So um, just on the ground, this feels right to me. How close are we to Senator Cinema having to announce one way or the other if she's going to run for re-election or not? Well, it needs to happen in the next couple months. So, um, and and that's kind of the timeline that I think everyone is predicting of her just based on even, you know, kind of what makes sense and what's possible. I think then the question will be what exactly does she announce? And if it's not re-election, what, you know, high-paying, powerful corporate or nonprofit job is she going to announce that she's moving into? And Don, you've been on record before here and elsewhere saying that you don't think she's going to run. Is that still your your feeling? I have. I made that call long ago and I'm sticking to it. Matt, what do you think? Do you think she's going to run? I don't know. Yes, I've been assuming she's going to run. I still think she's got a, a lane. I, I, I think that there is a path for her, however narrow it may be. Um, but I've learned over the years never to underestimate Kirsten Cinema. Well, so if she actually does decide to run, what can Carrie Lake do? Are there things she can do to try to staunch the bleeding of Republicans going away from her to cinema? Well, I think it would start by trying to, to mend bridges with the McCain wing of the party, which is a substantial number of Republicans, as we saw. Uh, had she not alienated that faction of the party, she would be governor today. So uh, I, I think you know she has has intimated that she understands that and is going to try to to draw more independent and and soft Republican support. But uh, you know, talk is cheap, so we'll <laughs> see. 
All right. So just yesterday, uh, we saw Governor Hobbs issue some executive orders, set aside a couple million dollars uh, for elections for next year. These don't seem on their on the surface, Matt, at least to be controversial in terms of having leave for state workers to go be poll workers using state buildings uh, for polling places, which I think Governor Ducey uh, had also done in previous elections. Do you think that these make do these move the needle, I guess, in terms of making making sure that elections are run well and I, maybe more to the point, increasing the perception that elections are run well? I, I think the, the biggest impact this is this has is to try to get more folks to work in these elections, to volunteer, to, to make the elections go, OK, uh, because we've seen and I think in part because of the, the kind of scrutiny and harassment and all the, you know, uh, BS that poll workers have faced in the last two cycles, I think there's a fear that there's not going to be enough bodies to make these elections run. Yeah. And so, you know, giving paid leave to state employees to who want to work at the elections, uh, things like that, cre- creating, you know, allowing uh, uh, voting locations to be at state facilities. These are all designed to try to make sure that we just have the logistics in place to have a smooth election come 2024. Well, John, there's also the thinking that the more people that sort of see how it works from the inside, maybe if they were skeptical of it or denying of the fact that these worked well before, maybe they see how it works and maybe they come around a little bit. Yeah, I think that that that's true. I also think that this is just the governor using all the tools in her toolbox to, you know, improve something that is a passion project of hers. But uh, yeah, and I, you know what, I'll speak from experience. I have um, several times volunteered, or I guess you're actually paid a little uh, stipend to work at polling locations. And when you do, you you absolutely come out of it realizing how detailed and meticulous they are and how sincere the people who do these jobs are about making sure that every eligible voter gets the ballot, that it goes well, and that is a com- that it is a transparent and responsible process. I mean, I have never worked at a, on election day without walking away at 11 o'clock that night saying, like, our democracy really is amazing. Safe to say, though, Matt, that even with this, we'll still see election-related bills coming out of the legislature this year? Count on it. <laughs> okay. <laughs> that was simple and to the point. All right. So, Don, let me ask you about uh, State Representative Lisa Sun. Uh, apparently, there have been rumors, stories about her and some not great behavior uh, at the Capitol. There was a, an injunction this week uh, preventing her from going near three city officials from the city of Tolleson. She represents the, that part of that part of the valley. Um, what what exactly is going on here? Um, that's true. There have been multiple stories kind of since um since her campaign and since being elected about, you know, some questionable behavior, some questionable word choice and choices toward others. Um, And so this is kind of the latest and maybe one of the most, you know, um, most that has some sticking power to it. I think that going forward, probably, uh, you know, we'll see what happens with the injunction and how she responds. But I think the Democratic caucus, her colleagues in the legislature will also be very diligent and sincere in in looking at this and seeing whether, you know, any action should happen there. Could there potentially be a censure or something else? I think that they will. You know, I think that Democrats very much want to and and do really mean it very much want to say, you know, that we are not the party of 
poor judgment and abusive treatment. And so they will look at their colleague and, and yeah, kind of consider what needs to happen, if anything, but based on what they find. What, what, do, you, what do you think of the realistic possibilities? I, I'm just soaking this in for a moment because <laughs> for once— uh, it's it's the Democrat uh, side of the side of things that has to deal with this sort of an issue. And uh, let, let's just be clear. Uh, allegedly, the representative uh, said that she was going to throw the lobbyist for the city of Tulsa off a balcony. OK, so when we talk about questionable behavior, that's what we're talking about here. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so, uh, you know. What's going to happen here? I don't know. I pr- probably nothing. It, it could get referred to the ethics committee, but I, you know, I don't frankly expect that. We'll see. I think the biggest issue is this has highlighted uh, erratic behavior on the part of a legislator, and if it continues and if it escalates, that's when I think uh, you would likely see the legislature take action and, and possibly even remove this individual. There, there is a history uh, in the Arizona legislature, believe it or not, of uh, lawmakers. And threatening behavior and, uh, you know, I, I, I don't remember if he got censured or if he ended up resigning on his own. But, Mark, you'll recall that's it was in a different lifetime. But it yeah. has happened. There are a few before. that there are a few that have gone before the ethics committee. Yeah. Think of people like Scott Bungard or, or Daniel Patterson who have gone before the ethics committee and then resigned before Correct. that ultimately happened. So to your point, I mean, there is. And, of course, Don Shooter was expelled mm-hmm. for uh, for sexual harassment uh, however long ago that was. So, yeah, there is kind of a history of, of lawmakers trying to keep each other in check somewhat, I guess. I think the line is when it becomes a, a threat to the public, other lawmakers or or staff and, and visitors to the state capitol. Yeah. All right. So, guys, we have just about a minute or so left. And uh, we heard at the very top of the show from a Diamondbacks manager, Tori Lovello, saying that uh, expressing his pain at the end of, end of the series. Um, so I guess the, the question is, like, this has traditionally sort of been a, a basketball town, right, Matt? You're, you're not, you and I are not native, so, and we have different sports allegiances in baseball, so maybe we're exempt from this conversation. But, so, Don, I'll turn <laughs> all to you. Mine. It's, it's all mine. It's all yours here. Like, how significant was, was, uh, was this run? I mean, is this something that, you know, we hear so much about how sports can be sort of a great unifier, and maybe that's more common, like, in the old days, Matt, like, when you were not at the Capitol and everything would stop during the Suns' playoff games, and then they'd come back and they'd actually like each other for a few minutes. Is this something that you think people can feel good about and maybe have a sense of togetherness about? Yeah, absolutely. You know, as a as a Arizonan, um, it did strike me the evening that we had, you know, the Diamondbacks still in it. The Suns were playing. I believe the Coyotes had yeah. their season opener that same night. And it was like, wow, as an as a native Arizonan, as a longtime Arizonan, like this is really cool. We don't get this very much. And so even though the end result was really disappointing, you know, there are thousands more people out there with Diamondback shirts now. I know this because I went into a sporting goods <laughs> store the night before and they were flying off the shelves. So hopefully that, you know, that ethos kind of sticks around a bit. Matt, will this make it harder for you to get a ticket to see the Rockies at, uh, at spring training next year because they share a facility with the Diamondbacks? Probably so. But look, I... Tor Lovello's pain, I would just say, like, I, I understand his pain because I'm a Rockies fan. So. <laughs> <laughs> All right. We'll have to leave it there. Matthew Benson, Don Penich-Thacker, thanks you both for coming in. I appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you. You've been listening to the Friday Newscap from KJZZ's The Show. It's an original podcast recapping the week's biggest stories with experts, commentators, and reporters. You can get the full show podcast at podcast.kjzz.org. I'm Mark Brody. Thanks for listening.